Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. We're going to look at the Blade Runner adaptation by Al Williamson and Company. Before we get into this, I want to invite all of you to like, follow, and subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. Hit that notification button so that you'll know when we post a new video, it'll give you a leg up on the Kayfabe effect. Whenever we post a Blade Runner comic, a lot of people might want to add that to their collection. These comics can disappear quickly or go up in price as the day goes on, so you want to be the first one in line looking for these books. Also, allow these videos to play through to the end. That allows YouTube's algorithm to share them with other comics fans who haven't found Cartoonist Kayfabe yet. It's one of the ways that we grow this channel, and we appreciate your help on that effort. About 35000 away from getting our plaque, Ed, so uh, please share these videos. Help spread the Cartoonist Kayfabe word, and um, let's get down to business here. So you see right away, a comic art classic by Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, and Carlos Garzon. I believe the reason I'm interested in this more than anything is the Al Williamson art. So uh, it'll be fun to dive into that. Blade Runner, one of the classic cyberpunk movies, one of the celebrated, attractive sci-fi kind of movies. Um, we used to watch this when I was in art school. Like even the professors were behind Blade Runner for a million different reasons. And uh, to have that paired up with Al Williamson it's kind of amazing. Reading this this week, that was one of the standouts to me because I enjoy Blade Runner the movie, but it's not a movie I know inside and out. I haven't seen it in many years. So reading through this, it really felt like I'm judging this comic on its merit as a comic. Me too. And uh, pretty good. Like it, it, There's some really interesting stuff in this as a comic. Drop some props for Archie Goodwin uh, yes. for creating the voice of the thing because it was a pleasure to read the various voices, the sort of hard-boiled kind of noir detective uh, voice of Frank Deckard and uh, the the universe that they create. Uh, Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, long-standing collaboration since the '60s in creep in Warren magazines. Uh, they this I mean this could be Arch, uh, Al Williamson's Marvel masterpiece. You know the greatest thing that he did for for Marvel uh, because the illustration, the just the sheer picture making. It's one of a kind. It's unbelievable for a Marvel comic. It really is. The illustration is out of this world. I want to just uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at this issue one at least first, and but I did want to showcase the difference. So this is a collection. It's a two issue miniseries, and uh, this is the collected piece. It's on different paper. We often talk about paper. Pretty good demonstration of just how these colors uh, print differently on newsprint versus a coated or a uh, like a Baxter stock, and you can see. I think these are different plates, probably. You pointed out, Ed, that some of the reds are different, so some different plates, I think. But this is 100% yellow, this is 100% yellow, and if you're looking at it on screen, you can see just how dramatically different uh, you know, the paper makes, because color-wise, that paper is almost the same between the newsprint and this, uh, I assume it's Baxter, it might be Mondo, I'm not really sure what this paper is, but not newsprint, but you can see how differently the ink sits on the paper versus being absorbed into it. Yes. So we'll start with the newsprint and uh, you can follow along at if you see any major differences or something you want to call attention to, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll check that out. Um, I don't know the circumstances of how this was made, but usually they would work on these like while the movies, I don't know, being wrapped up in, in post-production say, or even in production. So the artists have to figure out a lot of stuff. They might have some film stills, but they may not have seen the movie in a lot of cases. This is the early 80s, so I don't know how much of a priority it was to uh, get Marvel's adaptation and, and, and get this in front of the creators. So we're going to see as we go along. Star Wars was huge 
for the franchise of Star Wars and Marvel Comics. Uh, it kept Star Wars in people's mm -hmm. minds in between the movies and things, created that stopgap where people could just keep consuming Star Wars stuff. And I think, not unlike G.I. Joe uh, and its influence on Marvel Comics and the, and the sort of wider culture, uh, after the success of the Star Wars adaptation, I think that people are putting a good foot forward to try to like really show and prove. I mean, it's, they, it's why you got like top talent uh, on, on this thing. And from the splash page alone, look at that Tyrell Corporation building. How do you, how do you draw that in a sitting or something? You know, like that is extremely complicated. And like, what are the tricks to, to, to do that, you know? Yeah, I, again, I wonder like what materials they had access to. Did he get to go tour the set? Did he have models? Were there photos? You know, he had to have some combination of those things, they, but I don't know the extent. They created a world here, and, and they are so faithful. Even if they are uh, inventing stuff, it still feels right. It still feels super inventive. Uh, Al Williamson, I think, uses, for every figure you see, I think he uses photographic reference, but if he's kayfabe in backgrounds, and like this vehicle and stuff that looks sound that is a great design you know so not only can he draw well but he can also set design and and invent interesting stuff i would say that the visual storytelling is is the only part that would be sort of complicated or or like sort of sort of lacking in a way but it's not there's almost no panel to panel transition. It's almost like moment to moment. <laughs> There's our guy, Jimmy. I gotta pull this out. Yes, you do, man. Like when, when I read this comic <laughs> yesterday and I got right to that image, I was like, Jimmy, are you gonna do it or are you not gonna do it? <laughs> so this is a famous actor, Brian James. One of my early collaborations with uh, Brian Maruka, my co-writer and a lot of stuff, was doing this ultimate James zine. And I have no idea like why we did this or why we thought this was a good idea but this was a uh completely done in a sketchbook you see the binding here going through all of his movies he had this thing that whenever he got to um la he would never turn down a job and as a result brian james has quite a quite an imdb yes of uh, over 100 movies and uh this is basically just the uh the brian james you know fan fanzine ultimate fanzine i quite liked him in that one horror movie where he gets electrocuted but then uh possesses the jail. shocker is it, is it shocker i was gonna say shocker but i, I one of his bigger roles I you know back often a uh, a small character actor but this was just zine making i have no idea again what started it but figuring out like he would talk about how he had to play a uh, villain because he was tall so you know he's you, got, you, you couldn't be the the hero he's got such a severe face he does he does not have like a nice looking face it would be odd to have him as a uh as a hero this is your uh kind of your blade runner reference right where it's other robots and androids and compare him in height to them <laughs> genius deep blue the, the uh, chess playing computer <laughs> so yeah there you go uh quite an extensive history of brian james there's one that might get us in trouble on uh, on youtube can't linger on that too long the, make the titties tingle sexy brian <laughs> brian james he's trying to reinvent himself <laughs> dude so. look at that striking profile see you really captured something like like that's clearly him oh yeah he is a very distinct looking guy no doubt about it and 
pretty thorough. And then for people that buy the zine, you can keep your own film notes as you go through and celebrate his catalog. The career was still going on at the time. I don't haven't seen him in something for quite a while, but you know that 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 what it was it was like that VHS era. Yes. And you would just grab movies, and it's like holy fuck, it's that guy again. Had no idea what the dude's name was, but he was in so much. Yeah, over over a hundred movies as I as I mentioned. So if you're lucky and you have one of those, enjoy it. So I don't think that. Like I said, I don't think that Williamson um, drew any figures like straight from his head. These are all so well lit and everything, but also some of the stuff I marvel at is like the geography of the stuff on the table mm. matches. You know, the, the little machine is kind of still the same. So like he's he just knows what he's doing, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what is he about 30 years into his career at this point? Probably as good as he's going to be at this point. Um, man, some of this stuff, like the street scenes, and Marie Severin is your colorist here, but like having the reflections on the streets and all the different lighting. This is where this is where you could tell like the beauty of this paper compared to the other stuff, because like it almost looks like when uh, John Higgins is going ham on uh, the Watchmen, like the comic book portions of Watchmen, where all these colors are just competing. That's wild. You can see some Star Wars in a, in a weird way. Totally. Um, but you can also see Watchmen very clearly, I think. It stands out. Part of why Blade Runner is celebrated, you know, because of the influence that it had all over the place. But I think you see it in this kind of a mashup of a street scene. Wild stuff. Also, this is something that you would see maybe in film where you've got elaborate sets built and it's almost just to create... I don't know, mood or whatever. Yeah. You don't see it as much in comics because that's a lot of work, like to invent that much stuff. Yeah. If you were if you were just kind of working from scratch uh, for one panel, you're not going to see that very often, especially in say this monthly format. Just beautiful. And just the the acting, like you you just you can't do that by yourself. You need you need help. What is interesting though is you can also tell where in in various uh, pages and panels where. Al Williamson just doesn't have the Harrison Ford reference for the moment. And it'll be like the, the couple of times where the character's just off model. Yeah. And it's, but it's very clear off model. I like this lettering too. This is your, our internal, you know, this is yeah. the narration, the, the Deckard's internal monologue, uh, different font, you know, different treatment. So it's lowercase letters. We've looked at that in several comics. I think it's um, obvious in Watchmen. We recently looked at Arkham Asylum, and you can see it in that. Yes. Um, this is going back to 82. So I, I'm curious, like, where this idea begins, because it's such a key visual to indicate, like, oh, this isn't a caption. This is somebody's, you know, this is a different voice that we're hearing here. <laughs> and it's pretty effective in this story. Like, doesn't this feel like a weird paste up? It does feel different. <laughs> you know what? I bet you it is. That's <laughs> like what you would get with likenesses. Somebody in the bullpen, like, had, you know, John Romita had to do that in a pinch or something. You, you would always hear, like, the Kyle Baker, Dick Tracy. Yeah. Where Warren Beatty was unhappy, and finally it was just, like, a photocopied <laughs> face put in there. I forget where I read it, man, but the Happiness movie poster that Dan Klaus did with, with you know, tw mm -hmm. an ensemble cast of, like, 20 people, uh, they would all have to sign off on their likeness, and if they didn't, he would redraw it, paste it up. And uh, he said that the if you take a look at the original, the John Lovitz character <laughs> has the most paste-ups <laughs> compared to all the other characters. <laughs> Those comedians, man. That's so funny. <laughs> it's so much drawing. Do you think he's working bigger? 
You know, I do not. And the reason I say that is because uh, we have a Star Wars Artist Edition video that the people can check out where we're looking at the same level of craft from Al Williamson doing Star Wars movie adaptation for, I believe, Empire Strikes Back. He's just a drawing motherfucker, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose that's uh, that's right. I love this kind of effect where it's just like a screen tone on the side of Harrison Ford's face. Yes. It's uh, a really cool look. Al Williamson is a master of black and white illustration coming from the Alex Raymond school of comic book strip illustration. And, and that was a trick, you know? Like if you notice, there's no holding lines on the coat and some of the other uh, outer parts of uh, these drawings and characters. Man, the coats and the folds and the coats and, and clothing, incredible. And uh, Once again, I feel like more evidence that it's just not made up. And that is not a condemnation by any stretch. It's just the level of thought that went into making these pictures. Because it's not even just the fact that you're using reference or whatever to compose your illustrations, but there's considerations for lighting that is accurate in each of the images where there's you know there is a lamp and all light emits from that lamp but also maybe a window and the shadows abide correctly on everything that you see in the entire image you just don't see that anymore you don't there's also this technique that he does several times where a panel just kind of like like it stops yeah um you see some down here around rucker howard and I don't know what that is exactly. I think it goes back to the comic strips that you mentioned there. Yes. And when I look at like these backgrounds for like the city is another example of that great black and white. And in my mind, it's like, this book would be incredible in black and white. Absolutely. Let's get that artist edition. Uh, seeing stuff like this with these kinds of backgrounds at this level, uh, it's, it's one more notch in the Al Williamson cap because the EC work that he would do very often, backgrounds by Roy Crankle. So you can assume that he's just more about the figure or whatever. But when you see shit like this, it's like, no, I could do that too. I just also want to live my life and like hang out with my family and friends. Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by the comics that Ed Piscor and I make. Red Room Trigger Warnings, the second season of Red Room, all self-contained stories, issues one to four, now available in comic shops everywhere. Red Room, the anti-social network, the trade paperback collection of the first season of Red Room, now available in comic shops everywhere, minus 28 countries where it's banned in 10 comic shops, but you can still request it there. And coming in September, the collection, the trade paperback of Red Room Trigger Warnings will be in stores in September. You can pre-order that now at your local comic shop or online wherever you buy your books. Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness in comic shops everywhere. The 60-year history of the Incredible Hulk. I am writing, drawing, lettering, coloring, the Grand Design treatment, retelling that 60-year history. And you can now pre-order the Hulk Grand Design oversized treasury collection, uh, about 40 extra pages in that. It'll be in stores before Christmas, but you can pre-order it now in your comic shops or in your bookstores wherever you're, you buy comics. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Like some of this monochromatic panels is where you can almost imagine the black and white versions and really see his art shining and talk about a background. Standout image for this book, man. And it's perspective floor tile and then your reflections in the in the floor tile. Just genius. Just beautiful, beautiful picture make, making. They they don't make drawers like they, they used to, Jimmy.
it's it's uh you know you, you just got to enjoy the books like this that we have they they just learned different you know like like we need to get and and honestly it's from learning from people who um dismiss comics you know like when you go through like real art leagues and those art high schools and that kind of thing they dismiss comics and they would force those kids to do proper croquis drawing and still life and figure everything out uh so he has those exact chops man some of this stuff reminds me like there's a Stranko cover on the one edition of this yes. and some of it feels so much like it, it could be a Stranko an influence on some of Stranko's yeah, style because I mean Williamson's doing this again this is 30 years in so certainly somebody that you could have been looking at for a long time look at that cityscape in that last panel there it's wild pull that over yeah look at those poppy colors you can also see the differences. Yeah. You know, like, this is... It's so funny because it's close to the same coloring, but then, like, you can see the differences, like... You know, these are different color choices, so... It really makes me wonder, like, did somebody go in and recolor this, you know, loosely based on, on this original run? Yeah. Because it's almost the same. Right. Also, imagine being the colorist and realizing, like, what a difference it is between these two. Just having different paper completely changes your palette. This, to me, super strength. Absolutely. Ask, right? Absolutely. Frank Miller, like, any kind of noir, crime, anything. Like, there's your template. And, again, one of the pieces that I think Blade Runner really brought in was having that noir combined with sci-fi. Uh, you know, because that kind of shadow, if you watch the movie, there is that attention to uh, lighting and, and in shadow there if you look close also man still no holding lines so using that zipatone to give you the contour of like the nose bridge where the coat ends and stuff it also reminded me i kept thinking about the long tomorrow that we've looked at a couple times of mobius as being yeah. like cyberpunk you know ground zero start of, of cyberpunk those elements a lot of them are in here oh, totally. you know like this is leaning much more i think on the noir and probably because it's a feature film you just have to develop the world in greater detail so it's kind of a more dense version of that story but i think there's a lot of parallels certainly mood wise between the two stories and we have a video on that i would recommend everybody we have two videos one with jeff darrow going through Shouts panel by jeff. panel so definitely worth checking that out seeing stuff like this i think it's a little bit illuminating to the process because I think Al Williamson had some image of a couple parked cars or some traffic. Standard cars, maybe a garbage truck back there. And then you play with it and you add some lines and you add some different shapes and you, you, you fuss around with it and you could create a whole new vehicle on top of like the chassis of an underlying mail truck right. or something like that. So I think that, cause that, that it feels so accurate in terms of the perspectives and stuff. And he, and he is a proponent of like the autograph project projectors because he comes from that Alex uh, Raymond school of comic book making where, where yeah, use photographs, trace them off quick, add your own spirit to it. And then uh, that collage of all those photos with the proper ink line turns it into a cohesive comic page. How about those textures, Jimmy? Those are great, but I was admiring this whole storytelling, right? We have Deckard looking out the window, yeah. you know, out in the shadowy world, 
where we have Brian James like hiding across the street in the shadows, watching his apartment that has now been invaded by the police. And then we see Rutger Hauer show up in this tiny little, just you'd almost miss it if you didn't know what you were looking at. And now zoom in, like we've switched scenes. Now we're having their conversation. And man, I will never get enough of the shadow use in oh, this no, comic. Yeah. Like that's incredible. And then they're walking away and they're almost the same size as this previous panel. For five panels, like, wow. That, that is a lot of storytelling and a lot of motion in, you know, one page worth of, con of, of dense panels. You know, even the shadow there, of Brian James' face, you know, moving in and out of these shadows, these different characters, it's so effective. Because there's no holding line in Rucker Howard's hair. Half of it, though, is Brian James' shadow on his face. Yeah, worth noting that this first issue is mostly like Williamson. You're seeing his biggest contribution is in issue one. Carlos Garzon uh, has a bigger hand in, in, in issue two. Even just this character, like she, she's an android. And just by allowing us to see, you know, th the three whites around the eyes gives that, that distant glaze that you can associate with an inanimate object or a robot or something. So there's like even little choices like that. I wonder if Williamson's inking this panel because some of the brush marks for like the the wet shadow mm -hmm. um they're brush marks you can see them you yeah. know it's pretty bold as i think is a choice and i don't know if somebody else that's inking a, a a very good artist would have the nerve to do that yeah i know what you mean the bradbury little reference there in our signage in the background don't know if that's in the movie or if that's something that uh that the marvel artists are taking a going into business for themselves there i like to think that uh, the reference he used for this guy right here was uh, Gomer Pyle. I like to think that this is some kind of high contrast photo background because I would not want to draw all that. Yeah, it's amazing, man. But then you could see like the imperfections like mm -hmm. where, you know, whiteout was used. It's things. definitely a drawing, but wow. Like even the railings that are up on the top, multiple lines, you know, indicating like the, the way those are carved out. Yeah. Once again, I, like I think, I think photographs were used but if you use it right, you could integrate it into your holistic style in, in this really, really sharp way. I feel like Otoma would adopt this kind of thing. Like, I think in Young Magazine, he, he used, drew like a like Napoleon-ish uh, bear was an elephant or something like that with a big sword. Yeah, I remember seeing that. When you get the big eyes and things that's uh Starenko-ish vibes and i think that's also like you're pushing away from williamson like i don't know that he drew that face dude these shadows are just killer absolutely. like absolutely killer this panel could be right out of an ec comic this middle tier panel oh yeah just abiding by the the design choices from the flick with all these interesting character designs there was an early computer video game that was like a point and click solve the crime kind of game uh but it was a blade runner that had like all of these backgrounds and stuff super super memorable it makes me want to go back and watch the movie and see what is lifted and what's invented yeah because even background details like just having these lines behind her it's a cool idea you know like it's a neat background it's not shadowy right it's like right. a lighted background but we still have a pattern some interest back there at depth Great use of shadow here as our uh, foreground characters up to no good planning her her escape. 
And some of this is um, between here and here, we don't see the amount of damage that we, we that, that takes place that's in the captioning. Yeah. And I wonder if that's Archie Goodwin, veteran comics writer and editor that recognizes that and adds what we need story-wise because there, there isn't quite the uh, amount of fight in the, in the artwork that, uh, that the story warrants. So, you know, pick up the slack in your captions. The captions are a pretty good read. No, that's what I'm saying, man. The integration of words and pictures is fantastic. Like, like the voice he created for the Frank Deckard character uh, is believable. It feels right. It's a pleasure to read. It's my favorite stuff to read uh, from, from this comic, his point of view. I don't know too many comics that read this way either, and I don't know why. It was so effective reading this. Yeah. And it feels like this, this would be a comic. I don't know if maybe some European graphic novels are a little more in this direction or not, but it felt really good. Like, what, it worked as a comic. Yeah, one of the places that I feel like you see that is, uh, it's it's real effective when you have to get a lot of story across in a few a few pa pages, basically. And it's an expansive flick. It might be a good two hours. Yeah, definitely. And you got 50 pages or less to communicate all of that stuff into a comic book. So you got to be judicious nice sequence of taking down this this first android and her face and the reflection of like the glass she goes through this glass display window and now you're drawing the glass on the ground around her and she's in the reflection of some of those panels on the ground do not sleep that is a what an artist do not sleep on the fact that she's got a translucent that's raincoat. right that's true and you so you see the skin underneath but also the skin is sometimes magnified by way of the plastic raincoat, uh, in the distance, you also have to be editorially minded to have strategic shots so that, you know, you don't see this or that. This is one of the good moves. So the caption sets stuff up, right? Like, uh, Rachel sees him in the crowd, you know, like once he, he turns around, realizes she's been watching him, somebody that he has some love interest in, and then she's fleeing which again, the captions kind of, it goes back and forth, image, caption, image, caption. And the next thing we turn around and Leon's there. So, you know, you almost go from like one person watching you to the next person watching you from love to this fight uh, threat. Good page, a lot happening. Again, a lot of storytelling happening here. Just to be shallow uh, visually, man, they really captured Brian James' lack of chin in that <laughs> image right there. Like that's, that's perfect. He looks pretty good as likeness throughout. Love the Atari right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Atari throughout. And that's the end for issue one. So, you know, talking about the density of story, that's where we uh, we drop off on, on part one. Which means... Um, so this would be your, your page one to start that next issue? Yeah, if you take a look at the page one of this, you'll see there's like a title page, which is what has thrown the pagination off. Yeah, that and ads for, uh, in, in that issue one yeah um but a pretty pretty good start for an issue two if you only had one of these issues like you'd be right into it this is almost orson wells sure yeah i can imagine that's not an accident either when you're putting the movie together you know having that almost describing that character in that way unless we forget right and this feels less al williamson right no this whole issue yeah it's 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 way more that carlos garzon fella uh, and you could clearly tell, but it's not like... I think he worked with uh, Williamson, I think, in the studio, yeah. maybe on some of the Star Wars. There's bio in the back is where I'm getting that info. So somebody that worked closely with him, at least for a little while. Yeah, and that's, and that's how this kind of stuff works, Senpai Kohai kind of stuff. So the guy, the guy learned from the master, but 
uh, you know, he does not have the exact Williamson chops. So it is cool to see this as kind of a contrast. Yeah, and by the way, don't feel bad about that because nobody has those chops. Yeah, I mean, those this chops is fantastic. died with uh, Al Williamson. And I think this is illuminating um, Al Williamson production, Billboard by Carlos Garzon, Lettering by Ed King. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool, right? And, and the, the iconic image of the kind of geisha on the billboard. One of the nice things with this edition is your line work does stand out. It's so crisp. It is crisp. It's probably one of the better ways to uh, appreciate some of the fine line that those guys are laying down. One of those uh, things, just like Arkham Asylum, you got to have both. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I've never seen uh, Blade Runner issue two in the wild, by the way. Yeah, I thought I had the original issues whenever I was pulling out. All I have is this compilation. It does make me kind of want to track them down because they look nice on newsprint. Yeah. Two different uh, screens on the faces. always feels dicey to use the parallel up and down lines uh, to for a shadow on a face. I wonder if some of the stuff like this kind of background is reused. You're mentioning that, you know, like the complexity of that building. Yeah. I wonder if you put together one or two really tight ones and then uh williamson was good for that he that when he would draw millennium falcon he drew maybe one or two of them all right so here's a kind of a glimpse because i think sometimes when they would do adaptations you would get like a bundle of images yeah. and this is one that i think of and you know you can see how do you change that well maybe you position harrison ford a little bit different but you're still you've got reference there so it's a blending of using your morgue photo but also adding a little bit change the, it up a little bit this is super cool because like it would be cool to have both of those in and in, in photoshop like lay it over top and just see the craftsmanship that was done in ink that divorces it from the photograph because <laughs> it could still be all the same proportions of everything the banister and all the main stuff but you could see what is done in ink to make it like a real solid drawing that that was like one of the one of the um, exercises that we had in art school, like where a teacher gave us a very complex lighthouse sitting on top of rocks. And his thing was like, here it, here's this photo, here's some vellum, trace it and make it an iconic like logo, icon, something like that, man. Like, what do you pull out to make it yeah. a very clear thing? And, you know, you could go super abstract, which is the outer shape. You could just do silhouette. There's like a million things you can do to make it a cool drawing. Did you ever use an artograph when you were there, like to project? No, but I would definitely use um, the reduction wheel and a Xerox machine and a light box for stuff like, you know, Ford Model T's and junk when we're doing period pieces. Because the whole thing, what they taught you was like, listen, you got 10 classes a week. You have homework in all 10 of these classes. If you miss an assignment, you're out. Yeah. So get it in by any means necessary. It's a good lesson. Yeah. It's a good lesson. And it makes me think like looking at this stuff because it's the same language as the first issue, right? It's the same as the Al Williamson visual language. I wonder if, if your average reader of people following along at home watching this note differences, you know, like are they, are they looking at this and being like, yeah, it's just not quite the Al Williamson, I don't know, a craft level of execution because it's, it's clearly the same language, you know, yeah. it's, it's really close. It also makes me think Archie Goodwin, uh, a real MVP of this yes. because it's, you know, his writing carried through. Like when I was reading this, it, it made it a really fun read and even with shifting artists. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's intuitive. Uh, I, I think that like most people, they wouldn't be able to articulate the thing, the differences. 
but I felt it as a kid when there would be a guest artist on something and it just rang differently. How about that for putting some different colors on a on a face? Yeah, it's fun. See, this would have been like the assignment. You'd have been given a very complex Mount Vernon image or yes. something. And it's like, okay, here's a photograph. You project the photo. And now what are you pulling out to make it a clear illustration? Because there's a lot of root work going on. There's a bunch of foliage. How do you make that clear in pen and ink, in black and white line? Yeah, that's always the worst, too. Like an organic, try to do it with a complex photo. Oh, yeah. That's a good assignment. <laughs> I can see that. Not one I would enjoy doing myself, but <laughs> makes sense. And then this is like your, your movie tie-in, so you get a lot of promo on the actual movie itself, the Stranko cover minus uh, the masthead, and then your bios of the creators involved. Dan Green and Ralph Reese also um, inking some of this stuff. Yeah, for issue two. A lot of Blade Runner promo. And here's where you get these photos, which you could probably find some corresponding uh, panels that go with these things. I think there's a good one of Harrison Ford in issue one, jumping up on the cars and, and racing through. Yeah, go back to just one real quick. Okay, so you so you project this, right? So the background is even lighter on your page than this. I have no idea what, where that image would be in there, if it even is. But just to illustrate that it's not, you can't, you can't knock a guy. You can't knock these dudes for for doing that because you're still pulling out a lot. So you're still making a lot of choices, man. This almost looks like the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> like you're getting cameras on the sets. So you can see, like, the figure's changed, but it's the same idea, the same mm -hmm. concept. Uh, another Atari back background. Oh, yeah. I don't... Are those in the actual movie? I gotta, gotta rewatch it, man. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember that, but I've seen a couple references now in here. So, yeah, you would get these photos, and it was like you're a detective. What can you get out of these? How many uh, scenes can you can you make from them? But one of the better movie adaptations. We've pulled out movie adaptations in the past and kind of like gone over <laughs> a lot of them not very good. This one's very solid. Yeah, yeah, really cool, man. It is a movie that lends itself to the comics format quite well. Absolutely, man. And, and Archie Goodwin creates good language with the characters to make it a pleasurable reading experience. Jimmy, you good to go? Yes. Okay, favors like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel with the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, man? Hope Grand Design, the Treasury Collection is now available for pre-order at your local comic shop or online. Uh, that will be out in time for Christmas. Perfect gift for yourself or the Hulk fan in your life. Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, was out of print, coming back into print in August. You can also order that now from your comic shop as soon as those things... Uh, Hit the, hit, the, hit the Diamond Distro Center. They'll be in your comic shop. Should be about a month out for that. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see a lot more of my art process, Q&As, and download some of my out-of-print zines and mini-comics. Red Room Trigger Warnings. Uh, trade Paperback is hitting shops in September. It's my 10th book in 10 years, Jimmy. Super proud to get that thing on the stands. Uh, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. It's collecting the 2022 season of Red Room Comics. But if you see these issues out in the wild, scoop scoop any of them up. You're going to get a complete story in any issue. It's banned in more than 28 countries, banned in more than 10 comic shops. So you might need to hit that link tree in the description below this video to uh, order and pre-order current and future Red Room Comics. You could also hit up my Patreon uh, for the price of three bucks. You can read the entire archive of the Antisocial Network and Trig Warnings. And I will begin serializing the uh, next round of Red Room Comics uh, this, this following week after this recording. 
Once again, three bucks for the archive there. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, fanny packs at the links below this video. It's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Given those marching orders, we'll be on our way, Jim. Read more comics. <laughs>